All right, Justin. I know I've asked this before, but we're going to do it again. Just sing me a song that gets you fucking pumped. Song that gets me pumped. Um, we'll go with, yeah, we'll, we'll go with, uh, in loving memory of, uh, Dark Man X DMX. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. Y'all gonna make me go all out up in here, up in here. Y'all gonna make me act a fool up in here, up in here. Y'all gonna make me lose my cool up in here, up in here. One, two, meet me outside, meet me outside, or meet me outside. There you go. All right, you get a point. Yeah. Oh, oh. You ain't ready for the dog. Honestly, I kind of feel bad for Heather because this is the kind of episode that I would just pretty much give you a point if you sang a song. I'm in that kind of mood, and she's not here for it. That's what she gets for going on vacation, though. She more or less misses out on free points just because she went on vacation. Hmm. Oh, Heather. Oh, Heather, you missed out. Yep. I think she's, but I don't know. I just got a feeling that she's going to be fine with it. (laughs) It's the trade-off. She gets to eat Whataburger, and I don't. So she gets, she, you know, she can deal with not getting a free point. Mm, That's true. And just because I know she probably is going to eat Whataburger while she's on vacation, you get a second point, Justin. Oh, man. Wow. That's tight. Yeah. And Heather, I hope because there, I, I, there's obviously no way you could be listening to this. And by the time you do listen to this, the vacation could be over. But you need to try the burgers with no bun. Do that. Bacon burger, no bun. Bacon water burger, no bun. It's great. I mean, I get it, Justin. You're doing the whole no carbs thing and shit, but <laughs> come on, dude. You got to eat a water burger. Fucking eat it, man. Come on. No, nah, man, you gotta right. try that burger no bun. No, nah, Stella, don't, don't don't get me wrong. It, yes, it's good with the bun, but man, when you do that, when you do that bacon water burger no bun, man, I was like, oh my goodness. The and next, I was happy with it. The next time I finally get to go down and and get water burger, I'm gonna order a green chili double and ask them to give me an extra bun. I'm gonna ask them <laughs> if they can give it to me on Texas toast and a bun. So like put. The green chili double and then inside Texas toast and then put the bun outside of that. Man, that is so much. That is extra, extra bun. I mean, that is like, that is just so much bun that that, 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 that's just totally the opposite of what I was talking about. But you're like a 27 and a half bagel in the morning guy. So, I mean, that's just normal for you. That's walk in the park for you i'm assuming hey the difference like that's what separates us from the animals is the (laughs) fact that we put buns on our hamburgers that's why we're not savages man i kind of like your barbarian style man i like that it's funny when you order it though because people don't expect it um so it used to surprise people when I would order that. But now I am noticing like more and more places are starting to accept that. Now, when you go, they'll say, okay, so you want the the low carb option. You know, now they have a name for it. I went to In-N-Out Burger and 
if you order a flying Dutchman, that's what you get. You get um, a burger with no bun. So yeah, there's it's becoming more and more accepted, and I'm happy to see that. I'm happy to see that. That just sounds terrible. <laughs> you sound like my dad. I brought over food, and he was like, "What is that?" Because they put it in like the. It looks like the container for like when you have a break when you order a breakfast plate at like McDonald's or something like the little uh, plastic container with the cover. That's what I open like when I pulled out the pulled them out of the bag. That's what I had. So my dad was like, "Oh, what's that?" You know, because he saw the bag was uh, like Whataburger or whatever. But he was like, "What's that?" And I was like, "Oh, it's burgers." And he went. Where's the bread? That was his first question. And he just looked, he just had this, like, it was just such a, like, surprised look on his face. And he was like, Where, where's the bread? And I went, there is no bread. I got a burger, no bun. And he was like, what? And I was like, man, you need to try that. He was like, I would never eat a burger like that. He just, like, walked away disgusted. And I was happy. I know exactly I how he feels. <laughs> I mean, he made it sound like it was some sort of like life or death compromise. Like that's part of his code. Like I will never, ever eat a burger and it not have a bun with it. Like that's yeah. like this thing that he just a covenant he can't break. Like he sealed it with his own blood. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's called, you know, living life. It's called. <laughs> experiencing things as they're meant to be. I get it. You know, it's the difference between eating a hamburger or a cheeseburger or whatever the fuck you want to call it, a burger, and just eating ground beef steak with a salad on it. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's just, it feels like you are a man without honor. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm not saying that that's what you are. I'm saying that's how it feels when you eat a burger with no bun. Wow. Well, man, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. So please don't let me be misunderstood. I mean, you feel like you would also be the type of guy who would break into a man's house and shoot their dog right after their wife died. Damn. You feel like the kind of guy that would break into a house with an unloaded gun and steal a little girl's kitty cat bracelet. <laughs> Damn. So so basically, I would be that wrestler where if Ring of Honor contacted me and said, hey, do you want a contract with Ring of Honor? I would decline it because, and then when they would ask why, I would go, because there's honor in the ring. Yeah, you'd go, because I have no honor. <laughs> you feel like the Damn. kind of guy that would come up with the storyline of the Montreal Screwjob. Mm. What, was, what was that match that Vince Russo did, like the 49er match? Where it was just a bunch of random shit in boxes on poles around a fucking ring. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man. You feel like the kind of guy that would come up with that match. 
I know I more or less just said you feel like Vince Russo. Man, he looks like he might dig the burger no bun, you know. You feel like the guy <laughs> that came up with the idea to have RoboCop come save Sting in a WCW pay-per-view. But, I mean, he's a cop. And he's, I mean, he would. You feel like the kind of guy that would think you should give David Arquette the title in WCW. I think I just Damn. keep giving you Vince Russo storylines. Yeah, I think you're just, um, you're taking this a bit too far, man. It's just no bun, brother. It's just a flying Dutchman, brother. Come on, man. Can't be that bad, brother, brother. It is that bad, though. It is. <laughs> let's start this. Let's start this episode before you just ruin my mood with your <laughs> lack of honor. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Justin. No Heather today, like we said earlier, she is on vacation, so we're letting her take a break. But today we will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with the movie Nobody. We will talk about... Uh, we will go spoiler-free, then recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section. And with that, Justin, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about Nobody? Okay. Well, when it comes to the movie Nobody, I think about one word, and that word is style. And I think that if you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure you know that style can sometimes make a difference in things, right? Like, have you ever noticed how you can have one person and he can tell a joke and it might get a, you know, a decent reaction, but then there's another person who can tell that same joke. And for some reason, because of the way he did it, because of the style, because of the charisma, the, because of the way he told that joke, he's got the whole room erupting with laughter. You ever notice how sometimes it seems like a person can sing the same words as this other artist you heard, or, it, or it's almost the same message, or it's almost the same kind of you you got these two people and they're almost the same kinds of people. Maybe they're both two athletes or they're both like these two exceptional people that do these things. But there's one that you put just way over the other one because it's just, and then, and you can't even really explain it. If somebody were to go, well, why do you like this one so much better than that guy? You almost can't explain it, but you know that there is something about when that one performer, that one actor, that one athlete does what he or she does, there's just something about the way that they do it that captivates you, that allows, that that they make you feel something. They make you feel something more than maybe this other person who's comparable, 
does an okay job, does a respectable job, maybe even says and does a lot of the same things. But they don't have that style. They don't have that style that really grabs you. And I think that when it when you talk about this movie, Nobody, that's what this is. Because on its surface, it is pretty much got all the ingredients of an action comedy thriller like this. You're going to see a lot of the same beats. You're going to see a lot of the same characters you will recognize. The movie's going to say a lot of the same things that other movies say. The movie is going to do a lot of the same things that other action comedies do. But back to the word style, this does it with such a style, such a charisma, such a sense of comedic timing and a great soundtrack, uh, an awesome soundtrack, by the way. But it does it with such a sense of style that it just gets away with every trope. It gets away with the simple storyline because it's enjoyable and fun and just so easy to look at throughout. And honestly, guys, that is this movie in a nutshell. I kind of agree with you, Justin. I mean, my biggest concern going into this movie was that it was just going to be old man John Wick. And we've kind of seen movies want to be like that. I know technically mm-hmm. Taken came out before John Wick. But essentially, that's a version of old man John Wick. Just somebody with skills that you don't want to fuck with, but you do. And then they come back and they fuck you up with it. Now, I mean, the first Taken's an okay movie, but then it's like when you see like Taken like, I don't know, two through, what are they on now, like 27? And you're like, oh, it's the same goddamn thing over and over again. It's like you said, <laughs> Justin, there's no style to it. But then I think also that's what adds to John Wick, is there's a style to John Wick. There's a flair. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. And I was kind of worried that this was going to be another version of Old Man That. And it's not. It's weirdly not. Like, it has a lot of the same type of beats. It has the ridiculous reason the person goes on a rampage. You know, John Wick, because they killed the dog. This one, because he thinks someone steals the kitty cat bracelet from his daughter. And it's just (laughs) rampage. But this one, it, it feels different enough. They did such a fucking good job of making everything... You know, it's the same type of movie as a John Wick, but it it doesn't feel like a ripoff. This movie is insanely fucking funny. But I wouldn't outright just call it a comedy. It's not. It's not a comedy. But it's a fucking funny movie. And it's not what you would expect, like, a Bob Odenkirk funny movie to be. Because it's not that. It's just the timing of it. This movie has almost damn near perfect comedic timing. It hits these comedic beats at perfect moments. I don't think there's a single time they did something comedic that it does not land because it's just so fucking perfectly timed. And then on top of that, the fucking action 
is top fucking notch. I mean, is this movie action-wise as good as a John Wick? No. But is it smart with how John, like John Wick is with its action? Yes. It has great fucking action. And like I said, it's different enough because like, yeah, John Wick does take some hits and licks and all this other shit, blah, blah, blah. But Bob Odenkirk in this movie is, what's his name, Hutch? Gets his ass kicked so many times. And he just fucking goes. And it's great. Like, I mean, you could tell, you could tell, you could tell Bob Odenkirk in this movie fucking worked his ass off to be what he needed to be for this role. What I liked about it is it wasn't something like a taken or an equalizer or something like that, where they kind of tailor the action to the limitations of their, their older male action hero in it. Those tailor their action scenes to that actor. This one feels like they wrote the role and Bob Odenkirk said, I'm going to work my ass off to be the right person for that role. And he fucking succeeds. Like at no point do you feel like Bob Odenkirk hinders the action. Like you don't feel like they wrote this for a guy in his 50s. And it's fucking great. And it has its own unique style to it. And like I said, damn, it's fucking funny. I didn't realize Christopher Lloyd is in this movie. (laughs) Yep. Oh, it's fucking great. Christopher Lloyd was fucking fantastic in this movie. The RZA, fucking great. Mm-hmm. Just so like it's just one of those things where I don't know what it is about this movie, but it, it feels like this movie was made just for me. Like this has everything I want. Like this is one of those movies when people talk about like whenever you like critique a movie or something like that. It's just like an action film or something, and they go, well, why can't you just, like, forget about it and just, like, let the movie be the movie? Like, this is the movie that kind of shows why that's a dumb idea. Because why accept dumb action when you could get shit like this that's smart and funny and multidimensional? With just top-tier action scenes. Why would you want to settle for fucking garbage? Like, this movie... Like, this is what these people should strive to want. Like, this type of shit. I mean, everybody knows I have a love of the John Wick franchise. I do. Some may call it unhealthy. I don't care. But I love me. Love me some John Wick. And this movie right here showed me why my love in John Wick is justified. Because John Wick is a great action franchise. It's got a simple story and just unbelievably great action set pieces. 
like action set pieces that show that the filmmakers care about making an action movie that tells its story through the action that moves the plot and story forward in fight sequences. And this movie does that too. Like I said, it does not rip off John Wick. I don't, I don't feel like it does. I feel like it's different enough and fresh enough with how it approaches things to use that same formula and not be a, just a redoing of the John Wick franchise. And with that, it shows that you don't have to be Keanu Reeves. You don't have to be fucking John Wick to make action movies like that. You just have to fucking care about making a damn good movie and not just rest on your laurels of it's an action movie, so who cares? That's all I want to say right now. You want to do recommendations and scores? Yeah. All right. Recommendations and score. All right, go. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, a lot of the things that you said, I definitely agree with and will be able to add more context to um, in the spoilers. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely recommend this. And I think that something that you said that um, that definitely stood out to me, especially when I was thinking about the fight scenes is though you use the word smart when you were talking about him. And, um, and, and yeah, I think that that's the best way to put this. Like they were smart about their fight scenes. Does it have the kind of gunplay choreography of John wick? No, that's more complex. And that's more because, you know, that's more playing to skills that Keanu actually has. But what I liked about this is like, how practical and how kind of brutal and simple the fighting was in this. Like, I think that's what made the fights good. Like, that's what made the choreography stand out to me. You weren't in awe because the people were doing these amazing athletic feats or I wasn't in awe because a guy twists another guy's arm and then makes him shoot the guy next to him with his own arm and then twist his arm another way and then shoots the guy next to him and then shoots him in the face with his own gun. It wasn't that kind of stuff. It wasn't like, oh man, look how he manipulated his arm and made him shoot three people and then himself. It wasn't that kind of deal. But it's more like, but but it was just brutal in the way like, damn, that guy just went through that window and then just the thud of the person hitting the window and then the the way that the camera would work the shots and then the the shot of the glass just falling off of this person. Some of it stuck to his skin. You know, there are just scenes like that where visually, and maybe that's kind of a spoiler, but... I'm not saying who it, that happened to, but 
there were just things that they did visually and things that they chose to focus on made those fights more volatile, even if the choreography wasn't so complex and athletic. It was just focusing on simple things and letting that tell the story of a fight. In one fight, there's just a little knife that is pulled out during the fight. But the way that the knife is used and the way that it kept coming back in the fight to do something or mean something was smart. It was very, I think that's a great word. It was very smart in how the fight scenes were done. And I think that's what I appreciated about them. So if you're somebody who appreciates that, that's what this is. It's not John Wick in, the, in that way where you're going to see all this complex choreography. But what you're going to see is the kind of brutality that makes you go, oh, you know, there are different ways to get excitement out of fights. Sometimes it's because you feel that there's this sense of danger. Like it feels like this person is vulnerable and it feels like it really is him against the world. And then other times, you know, a, a fight scene may get a rise out of you because the person, the fighter is so awesome. He's doing all of these ridiculous things and it just makes you go, man, dude, this guy is just an amazing fighter. I think that's, kind of the John, how John Wick gets a rise out of you. But this is a little bit different. This is like, this is like, if John Wick is the Superman of these movies, to me, this is more like the Batman. It's grittier. It's not going to be as complex. It's going to be more simplistic. But damn, dude, like when you see um, Bob Odenkirk Hutch go through this, you're just like, my goodness, man, oh, what a guy this guy is. But not in the same way that you say that about John Wick. It's a completely different feeling for completely different things. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think that if you do like movies like John Wick, hell, I I'll go back even further than John Wick if you like but Bruce Lee movies, if you liked any of the Seagal or John claude Van Damme, if you liked True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, there, there are so many, like, movies that kind of play into this kind of thing where you've got this kind of this guy trying to be an average guy, but there's more to him than this. The, the, that's what this is. And I think if you dig those kinds of action movies, you'll, you'll, I don't think there's a way in hell that you won't like this. I mean, it, it's, it's every bit as good as some of those high quality action movies that you've seen. And like Sterling said, it's funny. It's got a great sense of comedic timing and Bob Odenkirk is great in this role. And just to kind of play off what you said earlier about him working his ass off, man, if I had read the script for this movie, and I and let's just say I didn't know who this was written for, and maybe somebody kept that from me, I didn't see any of the casting notes or anything like that, and I just read the script for this movie, just thinking about how it all played out, Bob Odenkirk would not have come to mind as the main character for this movie. Like, I think if I just read the script and they cut out all the stuff where that was his improv or something where he's mentioned and I just read this script or you gave me a synopsis, I would not think that Bob Odenkirk was the actor for this film. 
But man, he absolutely kills it here in everything. His comedic timing, the physicality, um, what is being said or what is being done after the fights, how stylish he looks when he's fighting or when he's doing something or when he's going after these, uh, these people that are coming after him. I mean, he does it in such a way that this movie has, it, it feels like it's something different from John Wick. It has its own style. It has its own way of doing things. And that is largely because of what he brings to this performance as Hutch. So, yeah, I, I definitely recommend this. And the movie is not too long. It's a solid 90-something minutes. So it's not too much of your time. And it's just a lot of fun. And it's got a banging soundtrack. You'll recognize a lot of the music from this. And the music goes great with what is happening. Like, like they just have such a stylish way about it. It almost gave me kind of a, uh, with the way it uses music, and it has such a sense of style it reminds me of stuff like you know lock stock and two smoking barrels or um uh oh my god i just drew a blank on that other movie with brad pitt um snatch yes snatch stuff like that where it's very stylish it's got its own kind of sense of confidence and the music really like compliments that confidence in what they're trying to do with this movie. That's what this is. The music just guides it and is every bit as confident as what they are doing. So I think that if you dig movies like that, this is going to be right up your alley. So definitely give this one a shot. And I know it was out in theaters when COVID was a little more prevalent. So I'm pretty sure a lot of people miss this when it's in theaters. Well, it's a treat. Go see this one because you won't be sorry about it at all. So with that being said, I'm going to give this 85 um, retired veteran fathers who give a big smile at the thought that they get to fuck some people up out of 100. Uh, you kind of took my wor the words out of my mouth with the soundtrack on this. Like, this movie is almost a master class in how to use music in a fucking movie. Mm -hmm. There's not a single song that is misplaced. Everything is impeccably timed when it comes to how the music lines up with what you're seeing. There's just not a single misplaced song in this fucking movie. Like, it's truly special. With how it does that. And I mean, going back to what we were talking about earlier with the recommendations and stuff, it's like when you were talking about, like, if you read the script, would you ever picture Bob Odenkirk? And I think that's fantastically, like, worded with that just because the way they did the stunts in this movie and the action, very rarely do you feel like it's not Bob Odenkirk doing it. They do a very good job of making sure you see Bob. During most mm -hmm. of the action sequences. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it even better. You just don't even feel like there's a stunt double. I know there is. We know there is. But you don't feel it. There's very few shots in this movie during an action scene 
where they go away from Bob or Odenkirk's face, where they they hide who the where his face, which is the the you know the hallmark, you know part of that's a stunt double, and they don't do that in this movie. I mean, they they very rarely do it, and that's what I think is so fucking great. And it just like I said, Bob Odenkirk makes this fucking role his own. And you know what? We need more actors like Bob Odenkirk in Hollywood. We do. Just because I'm tired of fucking actors being in movies they have no business being in. And then they they fucking hamper the movie because they can't do shit. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking tired of that. Because nowadays, you know what? With With the trainers and shit you have nowadays, no excuses. You want to be in a movie and, and the studio really wants you to be in it, they, they will fucking hire you a trainer and a dietitian and a fucking personal chef and get you in shape. They will. They will get you in shape. And Bob Odenkirk did that, did the, this movie without even all of that. He wanted to do this movie so fucking bad, he was training himself because the studio wouldn't make the movie originally because of him. And he fucking worked his ass off to prove to the studio he could do it. And they did like this little proof of concept video showing that he could do all this shit. And then they went, okay, and signed off. So there's like no excuses anymore. There's just not. You know, this movie right here just fucking proves it. And do we mention it's fucking funny? Because it is. I have not laughed that hard at a fucking movie in a long time. Like genuinely laughed. Not like a chuckle. I didn't chuckle. I genuinely laughed. And I can't recommend this movie anymore. Like there's there's just no way that my recommendation for this movie isn't just top level recommendation. So much so that I know that I will buy movies haphazardly. I'll buy any garbage. But I think to the average listener or moviegoer, I feel like it's safe to say, you can just go buy this movie. It's fine. You'll, you'll appreciate it. You'll be okay. Just buy it. Don't worry about renting it or any of that shit. It's not in theaters anymore. Just fucking buy the movie. Do yourself a favor and just buy the movie. I guarantee you're going to watch this movie more than once if you buy it. I promise you. There's a damn good chance I might watch this movie again after this. I might not because I'm doing my own little 90-day movie challenge, but I really want to because my whole 90-day thing is I can't watch a movie more than once in the 90 days. So technically I can't because of my own self-imposed rules. But I want to. Like right now. (laughs) I almost wanted to tell Justin we should record another night because I just wanted to watch it again. I finished watching the movie and I just wanted to watch it again. That's all I want to do. This movie is absolutely worth it. I love it more than Justin. If if you've seen this movie and you're listening to this and all this other stuff, I don't know how if you listen to this podcast, you didn't watch this movie and absolutely think at the end of this movie, this is just 100% a movie Sterling would love. It just has everything 
I would absolutely love in a movie. I'm going to give this movie 95 cat bracelets under a couch out of 100. Spoilers? Yeet. Spoilers. That scene, when he goes into that tattoo shop, and they call him out for his FBI, or his dad's FBI badge being expired. And flashing the cheese, as they so say. And then that guy sees his tattoo, thanks him for his service, and walks the fuck out. And locks like 27 locks on that door. Locks 27? <laughs> that was one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever seen in my life. I paused the movie because I was fucking laughing so damn hard. I just could not stop fucking laughing at that scene. Because they're just standing there looking at the door. And it's just lock, 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 chain, lock, 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 deadbolt, lock, chain, 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 lock, lock, lock. <laughs> and then he just looks through the window. And then they just look back at Bob Odenkirk. I fucking lost my shit. <laughs> then back to him one more time. And then he slides the... <laughs> The bar across the window. <laughs> I lost my shit, dude. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, so uh, what'd you want? Yep. So how can we help you? <laughs> it was fucking great. And the thing I liked the most about this movie is, you know, especially in the first John Wick movie and parts in the second, John Wick is hesitant to really get in the shit. The thing I loved the most about this movie is once he got in the shit, like once he beat up those people on the bus, all he wanted was more. He was just constantly praying for more shit. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is whenever he gets into the the challenger after he threatens to blow up that mob guy and tells him he burns all his money, and he just sits there looking at his rearview mirror, crossing his fingers, hoping that guy will chase him. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and dude, that scene, I, I there was one other scene I paused because I was laughing so damn hard. And that was after Christopher Lloyd murders those people in his retirement home. When those Russians go to kill him. <laughs> yeah. And they just, they're standing over with their guns drawn and he just opens his eyes. And they, they, they did that thing that's like, you know, like that action comedy thing where it's like they're like zoomed in on his eyes. Then he opens them, then it goes to the other guy's eyes, and they're like, what? And he goes to yeah. shoot him, and he just puts his thumb between the hammer and the gun, and then pulls the shotgun out, blows the other guy up, then, like, hits the other guy. The guy runs in, he's like, I told you to keep your TV down. He's like, oh, yeah. And he's just holding the guy's mouth shut while he dies. I was like, holy <laughs> fucking shit. I know, dude. Like, man... He was so good in this movie, and like even the even when he got that call from Hutch, and he was like, "Hey, man, the situation has escalated, so prepare yourself." And the smile that Christopher Lloyd gives, like, oh, like, like I alluded to it in my score, but like that smile. Sorry, somebody just decided to fast and furious by my house, um, but that smile that he gave 
just that look of absolute glee that I get to fuck somebody up. I'm sorry, man. That did it for me. When he smiled like that, I was like, oh, my God, something is going to happen to someone. I knew it. I knew he he was going to be raw. And then he was raw. So, yeah, that was tight. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd smiling while murdering people in this movie makes me think that Christopher Lloyd has done this shit in real life. I know, right? I feel like he <laughs> smiled because he just was thinking about the time in his real life when he slaughtered a bunch of people. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him because he just looked a bit too happy. It was too convincing, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It, to me, it reminded me so much of Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. I'm like, yeah, he's an actual cannibal. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd is an actual homicidal maniac. I, I, don't get me wrong. I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that in the best possible way. Like, I feel like he might have been in some wet work shit for the CIA back in, like, the 50s or something. Like, he was just an assassin. And he was just like, man, the glory days. While he was filming this shit. I feel like, well, after filming some of the scenes he was in, he was slightly disappointed that the people weren't actually dead in real life. <laughs> but it was fucking great. I loved it because he's obviously a very old man. And he moves around like a very old man. And it just made the scenes better. When everybody Indeed. else is like getting for cover and all this other shit. And he's just scurrying around like an old man with a shotgun. Just blowing <laughs> the fuck up out of people. Yeah, and just anticipating their movements and just smartly moving to the left or right. Just that that savvy old veteran. And I don't think he took a single hit. I don't think he took a single hit of damage. <laughs> I mean, it no, was he didn't. Just... He had 100% uh, his of his HP full. at the end of that. <laughs> no damage. No damage. <laughs> I mean, that motherfucker was on that cheat code God mode shit, dude. Just no damage. And Yeah, dude. Oh, it was just, it was fucking, it, but the thing is, is like you said, they filmed it in a way that made it seem like it wasn't like they just went, oh, he's an old man, so don't shoot him. That he was just smarter than everybody he was going up against. Yeah. Like, yeah. These guys, these might be big bad guys with machine guns, but he's like, you know, but like this might be the third time they've ever done something like this. He's like, this is the 90th time I did this this week, motherfucker. <laughs> like he just, like you said, he knew what they were going to do before they did it. And that's how they filmed it. And it goes back to what we were talking about. It's smart like that. Because a shittier movie or a dumber movie would have just made him invincible because he's the old guy. You know? Yeah. But you, and it would have had him doing stupid purpose. shit. Disarming yeah. everybody and punching young guys, you know, um, that, that you know, half his age and out quickening them and stuff like that. But they really didn't do any of that. He didn't let anybody get close enough to punch him or anything like that. You got close enough, you got shot. 
and then he was quickly behind a wall or going behind a corner. He never allowed himself to be that open to be hit, and he wasn't trying to get into any close quarter situations. He was just blowing your head off, you know? Exactly. A dumber movie would have had him be an old man trying to, like, fight a fist fight a guy. And it's it's just because, like, this guy goes, oh, I'm old. I can't fist fight these people, but I can shoot them with a fucking shotgun. And it was great. Like, and then, then it, and it ties in because you see him like that, and you know he's Bob Odenkirk's father in this. And then the, it really genuinely comes across like Bob Odenkirk's character is the way he is in this movie because his dad. Like, they make yeah. it feel like that familial sense. And then his brother is the Riza, which that was also fucking fantastic that his brother is the goddamn Riza in this. And yeah. his brother is the same as both of them, but also he's not as sadistic. He can do the shit, but he's just like, do we have to put our lives on the line right now? Can we not be, like, you know, almost murdered? And now, when it comes down to it, he fights and he kills motherfuckers. But he's like the voice of reason in that family of, can we not just get an adrenaline high because that's all we want to get off on? (laughs) Yeah. But like every little thing in this movie was just so well thought out. Like that fucking scene in the warehouse felt like goddamn like old man home alone. And I mean that in the best possible fucking way. And that's what it was. Because <laughs> those were all fucking murder traps. It was like if John Wick and Jigsaw and Kevin McAllister had a baby together. And that is the warehouse scene in this fucking movie. Because it's violent, it's got traps, and they're all murder traps. It's great. But even then, that, that scene on the bus, like I loved that scene on the bus. Because it was like, you know, the first time he had fought like that in a while. So he's a little rusty. Yeah. But he just yeah. fucks them all up still. And then he gets thrown out the bus, gets back on it, and goes again. And then that scene, and it's weird that I laughed at this scene, but whatever, he hits the Russian guy in the throat. And because he's not a complete asshole, and just he just wanted to fight them. He didn't want to kill them. He just wanted to fight them. He then does a tracheotomy and saves that guy's life. I laughed yep. at that. I don't know why. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but I laughed. When, he, when I see him get the straw out, I knew exactly what was happening. And I laughed. Because it was weirdly funny to me. I mean, and then that scene too, when he's talking to all those essentially who end up being dead guys. And then he realizes that the cap bracelet's just sitting there. He's like, ah, oh, cap bracelet. <laughs> that was so fucking perfectly timed. Yeah. And that was a great just like look into his story and what he was trying to do. Like, I thought that all that was tight, how, you know, he would normally expire these guys, but he had a heart for this one person, let him go, and then found out that he had this second life. And that's what inspired him. He was like, man, I can have this too. You know, I can have something outside of this. And that was 
what he kind of set his sights on, and that's why he wanted to be a nobody. It, It was about trying to have what that what he saw that guy get and that kind of inspired him so even that was a cool like little expositional way it was a fun way to give similar exposition that we see in other movies and that's what i mean man a sense of style they just had a fun way of doing things. And normally that's something that a villain does, right? Like he's got the heroes tied up and he's expositing something about himself. And that's how we find out about him. I like that they switched that here. And we and it was the good guy actually doing it. You know what I mean? For for once in a movie. The, even that was just kind of different, you know? Oh, exactly. And like I think that that's what I really loved about his character, though, is and I know we're going to like at least I'm making a lot of references back to John Wick because they do have the same formula. They do. But this also shows how if you're smart, you can follow a formula and make a different movie because Mm -hmm. John Wick got dragged back in. This guy was looking for every fucking excuse to get back in, but was trying to deny it. He was like, no, I'm not really doing that. I'm not really. And then when he finally gave in, he was like, fuck yeah. God, I wanted this so bad. And I loved it too, because then it showed how much of like, whenever he finally gave back into it and got back in, that he was actually more satisfied as a person murdering people, that his family life got better because of it. Because he was actually more himself. He was happier. He was more fulfilled as a human being. And that bled into his relationship that was failing. And that had gone stale and stuff. And I loved how it kind of showed that. That if, if you're personally unfulfilled and unsatisfied, it's hard to have relationships that are fulfilling and satisfying. That you have to be satisfied within yourself to have genuinely satisfying and fulfilling relationships. And as weird as it may sound, this movie does a damn good job of showing that in its weird and murderous way. Yeah, that that's a great point, you know, because when he does tell that story to the people he burns, it's like, okay, so that's why he's doing this. But like you said, they gave you all those beats of him being unfulfilled. And then when you saw him actually in his element, and that is a difference because normally the, the person's trying to hide this and for good reason. And it's like, he, he want like you said, he wants to change. He doesn't really want to embrace this anymore and it's about getting his family to see that no i'm i'm not this way anymore what i really am about is this family you know kind of like a history of violence right like he had that side to him but he was very much trying to prove to them that no i can be this guy and i'm just fine being this guy but i like the the change of this of saying no Uh, yes he's hiding this part of himself hutch is hiding this part of himself for good reason but he is not being himself you know so that ultimately is still a problem you know 
And once he got, and like you said, once he got to be himself, that changed the dynamics of his relationship. So even just turning that sort of narrative on its head a little bit, doing it just, it's like you said, it's the same kind of formula. We've seen this before, but that is a very different approach to the formula, you know? Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I loved the end of this movie where him and his wife are finding a new house because he burned the old house down and all this shit. And, you know, he gets a mysterious phone call. Well, the realtor gets a mysterious phone call that's actually for him. And then they just go, does this house have a basement? Showing that he's back in that life. And because he's back to being himself, they're happier together now. She's accepted She accepted him. Mm-hmm. You know, which means he then was honest with her, you know, and stuff like that. And I just loved that. I loved that it showed that, you know, probably whenever he first left, you know, the alphabet city and doing all that shit, like his, you know, covert shit, he probably was, when he was adjusting to trying to be a family man, was probably still a li- b- little bit more crazy and shit. Because apparently, you know, she had experience patching him up. Because when she was patching him up, he was like, oh, doesn't this remind you of the old days? So some shit had happened, apparently, before, you know, and all this stuff, even though she didn't know the full extent of how he operated and shit. But it kind of just showed that, like, him being that person was probably more akin to how he was when they first met and wasn't in a rut and just going through the motions, you know. He was more actively seeking a fulfilling life because even then, once he murdered some people, he's like, you know what? Let me make lasagna from scratch like I used to, you know, just because he felt more alive. He felt more like himself and wanted to do the things that his family liked about him earlier. Even if he wasn't murdering people, then it's just because he was making that transition. So he still had some of that left in him. So he was, you know, doing things, actively seeking to make that work, and then it just became a rut, you know? And now that he's back, he's actively trying to now do both. And so by actively working on his relationships with his family, it's more fulfilling for his family and him. And like I said, that's a weird thing to have in a movie like this, you know? Acknowledging that in relationships, you have to actively work and put effort and not to just not be in a rut, You know, you have to make the effort. You have to do the small things. Even if it is just making a lasagna and stuff like that. You know? And it's weird that this movie has that. When movies that are built around that premise often fail at actually showing that type of, like, real active working in relationships. They'll say it but they rarely ever show it in the, to the degree that this movie does in the scenes it shows it. No, those are all uh, very good points. And yeah, and now just thinking about the movie, like anytime he was doing something more himself, you just saw that he was being, it just felt like he felt more at home being that way. Um like even like at towards the beginning of the movie when everything happens with the robbery and 
he kind of tells his son to let the one of the robbers go, and then son gets punched, and all that stuff happens. And then the next day, um, Rizza calls him, and he's going, okay, explain to me what happened. And you're thinking, okay, he's just going to kind of give him a quick summation of what happened. But when he starts breaking down in detail the kind of guns that they had, what they were, what they were wearing, the fact that they were desperate, the fact that the gun barrel was empty, he knew everything, like all the subtle details he saw in that, in those moments you just realize right away. And even as he was describing that, he just, it was like he couldn't wait to really tell somebody how he really viewed what happened. You know, he couldn't, and it was like, even in that moment, and even though for us as an audience, that was a moment of, man, there's definitely more to this person than meets the eye. You know, it was kind of the scene like that. But I love that. That was just a very subtle way of showing, like, this is who this guy really is. You know? Yeah. Nothing got by him. Even though to the family and everybody's talking in the neighborhood and stuff like that about how he kind of let that go and let that happen. You ironically, nothing got by him in, in that, in that robbery, you know? Well, and I loved it too. Cause they played it off. Like he was hesitant to do it because he didn't want to get back into it. Like he was hesitant to do it because it would unleash something in him. When it really was, there was no real danger. He knew the gun wasn't loaded. He knew the gun wasn't fired. He knew that they weren't actually going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So it became like the Predator in the Predator movies where he doesn't see the threat, so he doesn't do anything. And yep, that's what made sense. Like, as the movie unfolds, you realize, oh, he wasn't hesitant. He just wasn't an asshole for some desperate people. Now, yeah, did he go and, like, clock the guy with a gun to get his daughter's bracelet back? Yes. But that's all he wanted. He just wanted the bracelet back and the watch. He didn't give a fuck about the money or any of that other shit. He wanted the watch and the bracelet back. That's all he cared about. And then even then, when he saw that there was a baby and all this other stuff, he knew why they were desperate. Yeah, that he knew. He knew it wasn't really malicious. Like, well, it was a malicious act, but it wasn't like, you know where they're just doing it to get their kicks or something. They were just desperate for their child. And he understood that because that's what he was desperate to get after seeing what that guy had, like you said. And so he had that sense of connectivity with him on that. And then he moved on. And then he was like, then he got like kind of mad that he didn't really get anything, that it wasn't something more. And then those guys get on the bus. And I loved that scene too when he's like, God, I hope they get on this bus. Please get on this bus. (laughs) And I loved it. And then he justified it instantly in his head because they started harassing that girl. And he was like, yes, I get to fuck them up now. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Oh, that was. And and just again, just the, the, the style of it, man. They just had such a great way of doing that, man. Um, and even the villain in this, I really liked his introduction. Man, what's the actor's name? Um, oh, but I know what you're talking about. When you first see him and he's doing that karaoke shit. 
Well, he's walking, yeah. he's walking into the club and all this other shit, and he's just doing karaoke. I mean, yeah, yeah, I loved he, it, too, because that guy was sitting there, and the guy was like, come on, you're doing karaoke and being all silly and shit. Can you really protect our money? And then he goes, oh, you want to see me protect some money? And he just goes and fucks some random guy up with a fucking broken martini glass. Yeah. And and just because that guy kind of looked at him cross as he was walking up, you know, and so and he remembered that look and, you know, and so you could just tell that the wheels were turning the whole time. How do I want to fuck this guy up? Like, you knew, like when that guy gave him that look as he walked by him, you knew that that tall guy was dead. Like he, he probably was thinking, what am I going to do to kill this guy? Because the the look that he gave him as he walked by after the karaoke, but yeah, that whole scene, like I loved how it started outside. Like, the car pulls up, and then all of a sudden he gets out, and he's walking across the street, a busy street, and then the cars have to stop for him, and he doesn't even look at the vehicles. The cars are, stop, uh, you know, stop. they stop abruptly, and they honk at him and stuff, and he's not even paying attention to him. It's like there's already just kind of this confidence, like this guy, nothing gets to him, like nothing, you know, nothing shakes him, you know, that that, that was kind of, he's stubborn, nothing shakes him. And it's great because it comes into play later whenever um, Hutch, Bob, is in front of him and tries to make him an offer, right? That comes across. But I love those subtle character hints that we got at the beginning because him just walking by not giving you know not caring about those vehicles is one thing then he walks right in nobody's gonna stop him goes right up on stage does his karaoke and everything like that does what he wants to do gets done with that and like you said goes up there with them and they're like man can you and then that guy looks at him cross and then he's kind of like, man, okay, you looking at me like that, all right. Then, 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 then that's when they say, we don't know if we're if you're the guy for this. And then he just kills that guy with that martini glass, like, you know. And I just loved all of that together. It was just great. That was just a great introduction to this character without a lot of words, just actions and that stubbornness, that sort of confidence and that aura he had about himself it definitely comes into play when him and bob meet up later in the movie you know oh yeah and that's another thing like i guess the theme for this episode will be how smart this movie is because it drops those character hints as to what kind of person he is and then you get the payoff with it later in that scene where him and bob odenkirk are just sitting there talking and he's challenging him. And I loved it too, because Bob Odenkirk is so experienced in this movie as Hutch that he knew what to say and what to do to get this guy to chase him and to get that confrontation that he so desperately craved, you know? And, but it's one of those things like this movie, I think one of the things I appreciate the most about it is it doesn't waste a scene. Like, every scene works in this movie. There's a purpose to everything. Even the beginning when it's just flashing through everything so much that it just shows 
how mundane and repetitive and just routine his life was. So much so that he was routinely missing taking the trash out on time. (laughs) And his wife would routinely remind him he didn't get the trash out on time. And it's just one of those things that they do such a good job of of portraying him as a loser when all it was is it was just him trying to not be himself. And then I just, I love how everything changes. Like I love that scene whenever he walks into that fucking office with all that gold to Michael Ironside is like, all right, fucking business is mine. And the dad's like, yep. And then the brother's like, no, fuck this and all this other stuff. And then he just punches him once and then just helps him sit down. He's like, breathe, breathe. <laughs> and he's like, well, what am I going to do? He's like, I don't give a shit. Like, it's just one of those things you could tell that he had spent so much of his life wanting to just punch that guy once. Just to show him, I can punch you once. And this shit ends. And he didn't. And he didn't. And he didn't. And then he did. And his, you could just feel that his, like, you know, that was just something he had dreamt of for so long. And like, I loved, I loved it too, though, that like they did that whole thing of, Oh, you know, Oh, you were in the military. I've got to do a, a report on a veteran. He's like, Oh, well, I was just an auditor. And then his wife was like, Oh, you can talk to, you know, your uncle Charlie or whatever the fuck his name was. Cause you know, he was a real soldier or you can talk to your grandfather. Cause he saw some action and all this shit. <laughs> and it was one of those things where, like, Bob Odenkirk could have at any point fucked that guy up, and he just didn't, because that was the role he was trying to be. And, like, I just, I loved the, the, the just the little scenes with it and shit. You know, like, his brother was like, oh, I'm a big badass. Like, I would have, like, used this gun and shit. And then he's, like, so inept with guns, he didn't even put the safety on. Yeah. And Bob Odenkirk is so proficient at guns, he can tell when a gun hasn't even been fired recently. (laughs) God, this movie is so good. Yeah, and these are all, like, subtle things. It's not like it took a lot of dialogue to tell you this. These are all just visual cues and storytelling and just little subtle looks into what this character is, and it all just makes sense, and it's quick. You easily digest it, and then we're on to the next scene. And I do like what you when you said it didn't feel like there was a waste. That's true because just when you thought the movie was going to kind of turn into kind of a slower paced movie at the middle, and we were going to have to have this journey to get to the final Russian boss man or whatever the case may be, all of a sudden there's a montage, and now we're having a confrontation. It was quick. He went straight to the source. There was no oh, I'm going to send hundreds of men after you and different men with all different skills and all this stuff, and you got to fight through them and journey and go come to the top of this building and get to me, and I'm the final boss. There was none of that, dude. Like, he went straight to the source and then goaded him into a bigger confrontation, and that's pretty much what happened, you know? They just... 
handled that real quick without the movie having to take these slow strides to get where it wants to get. And like you think about a lot of these action movies that have come out lately, the ones that are not very good, and they're two hours long, they're two and a half, and a lot of it is because of that middle that drags so much. And this doesn't have a middle that drags, you know? Oh, yeah. Because it, 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 it's because exactly like you said, where there's that scene in the movie where this type of character waits for the guy to come back at him. And in this movie, they say, fuck that. I'm going to go fuck this shit, this guy's shit up. So he comes after me even more and I can fucking end it. Like he presses the issue. He's the one that goads the bad guy into coming after him. You know? Yeah. Like originally he thinks after he does his shit, he's like, all right, it's going to be over. And then they come at his house and he goes, okay, that's how this guy wants to play it. I'm going to make sure that this guy fucking gets dead. But he does the whole thing where he makes the bad guy feel like it's his idea to go kill him. You know? Yep. Where they do, yeah. you, you know, the, in those movies where they always do it, where they always end up tricking the dad or the husband into making him think that something is his idea, so it happens. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk does that, but with violence. He tricks the bad guy into coming to his own death. Oh, and yep. about that, we haven't even talked about it yet. How fucking badass was that fucking kill on that guy when he puts the oh fucking claymore God. on the fucking yes. ballistic glass? Yes, with the ballistic glass and then ran into him and then it exploded and knocked him back. Dude, that was sick, man. That was sick. And then the makeup on the guy after that, like, man, that was tight. Yeah, that was a sick final kill. Very, like, again, just very thought. I don't know. It seems like thought provoking is the wrong word, but it is kind of the right word. Like, yeah, how I was often sitting do there you going a thought provoking action movie kill. Yeah, like how how often do you do that? You know, like I was just sitting there going, "Who thought of that shit?" <laughs> that was really tight. Well, yeah, because they, I loved how they did that too. They played it out like he was like, you know what. I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice now. That motherfucker knew he wasn't sacrificing shit. Like, he knew he wasn't going to die doing that shit, but they played it out like he was going to do that heroic sacrifice scene. Like, tell my wife and kids I love them. And he was just going to go kill himself to kill the bad guy. Nope, that motherfucker knew he was going to kill that bad guy and walk away. I loved how they did that. And, like, also, I mean, and it's something we've seen in movies before and all this other shit, but I fucking loved that scene when he's in the interrogation room, and they're like, who are you? Nobody. And they're like, that doesn't answer the question. And then they both get phone calls like, man, fuck, we have to let this guy go. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was great. And Like, we've seen that in movies. We've seen that tons of times in movies and television shows where there's that government assassin or whoever, and... The police have them, and they're like, we got gotcha. you. And then they get a phone call because some high-end government people are like, nope, you let this fucker go now. But I loved it because he's sitting there in that interrogation room, pulls that kitten out of his jacket, giving it a can of tuna, and they're, like, interrogating him. And he's like, 
I know I'm gonna get let go. Look at my cat. Like it was fucking great. <laughs> you know, and I also loved in this because one of my biggest problems with the first John Wick movie is that scene where the bad guy has him tied to a chair and is like, we'll kill this guy. And instead of just shooting him, they put a bag over his head and then Willem Dafoe gets to sniper save him. I don't like that scene. It's the weakest scene in the movie because realistically speaking, why the fuck wouldn't you just shoot the guy in the head and walk away? Yeah. It was a, it was a contrived plot point just to kind of give a little bit of suspense, but you knew John Wick would live and, you know, everybody was fine. Instead of them, like, pulling out a gun to shoot him and then Willem Dafoe shoot that person, that would have worked a little better because it'd be like, it would give that sense of urgency of, oh, we, we need to kill this guy now, not give him a chance by trying to choke him. What I loved about this movie is they didn't do that. There is no scene in this movie outside of the fact that when they're like, oh, get the guy alive, just because they knew of what type of person he was that they didn't want to fuck with some of that shit. So they wanted to take him alive originally. And, but then once he fucked that plan up, they were just like, from that point on of like, nope, fucking kill this guy, no matter what, you know, but for the most part, they didn't have that scene where they should have just killed him. And they didn't like yeah. where they reasonably shouldn't have. Like I said, you could question the whole idea of him giving the order to take him alive. I can understand that, but you can always argue he had a motive for that. Like, maybe he wanted to get that guy and be like, no, you're going to work for us now, or I'm going to kill your family. Who knows? Yeah. But he wanted them alive, you know, so they didn't kill him. At least they didn't have it to where they were trying to kill him, openly trying to kill him, and they just, like, plot-wise went around it so he could survive. They really didn't do that in this movie at all. And I appreciated that. Yeah, that's a great point because, yeah, maybe he could have turned Hutch or, you like you said, had him be a worker for him. Or maybe there was a higher up that kind of wanted to use him for something. You just never know. But I do like that, too. I like how when they did get him on the way there, he got away. So you never have that you never have that scene. You know, you never have that scene of, oh, he's captured and he should be dead, but we're not gonna kill him. I'm the villain. I'm gonna leave the room and he's gonna get away. Like there wasn't that. And that's true. They avoided that horrible trope and cliche in these kinds of movies. They just didn't let him get captured. You know, that they, they just didn't let that happen. He got away, and it was more about just setting up that final battle. But like you said, because we, and like we've been saying, because he sort of started goading him to fight, and it was more about that than it was having to capture our hero or just play those same beats we see over and over, it allowed them to be different. He didn't need to be in peril in that way. They made the fight scenes be I guess the scenes where he was in peril, like the car chase and him being sandwiched in between these incoming vehicles and having to duck down in the seat and find a way out of that. Like they did things within the fights that gave peril to him, you know, but they didn't do those stereotypical things you see in a movie like this with the hero. Exactly. Like, you know, outside of that one moment, like I said, in 
within the movie, it made a little bit more sense because you, like I said, there's any number of ways. Like I said, they could have been like, well, now you're going to work for us or we're going to kill your family. And that maybe that was his motive or something, you know, any number of little things like that. But even then, once Bob Odenkirk fucked that up for him, he was like, no, fucking kill him now. I don't give a shit anymore. Kill him. Just kill him. And yep. And then in the scene, I love that scene where he's just sitting in the middle of the dining room and all this other shit. And he's just like, yeah, no, if you shoot me, everybody's going to blow the fuck up now. Everybody's just going to die. So we're going to sit down and talk. And then while I'm walking out, if you fuck with me, you're all going to die. So let me leave. Like, I loved that. It was, you know, so then that way it comes across like a scene where like, oh, maybe they should have killed him. But if they did, they would have died. They would have died. It gave a reason why they didn't kill him. Like a legit reason, as in they would not die. Which is about as good of a reason as you're going to get in most situations. (laughs) If I do something, I will die. Well, that's a good reason to not do it then. Nobody's going to fault you for that or claim it's a plot point that you were just selfish and didn't want to die. It's good character motivation. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. This movie is just very smart, very stylish, and just a fun fucking time. Like, even the fucking middle credit scene where Riz and Christopher Lloyd are just driving in that van. That was fun. And it's just like a little stinger at the end. Doesn't have any real bearings on the movie at all. But it's just a funny little scene. Mm-hmm. And I loved that, too. Why are we flying? And he's like, with this fucking luggage? And then they look back at all the guns and just start laughing. Which, once again, goes back to Christopher Lloyd might have murdered a lot of people. He laughed a little <laughs> too heartily. Like, the RZA gave a, I'm an actor laughing laugh. Christopher Lloyd goes, he gave a memories laugh. Good fucking time. Yeah. Hell yeah. And like you said, it did, it it broke a lot of the tropes of these movies that are like two and a half hours long or two hours long when they don't need to be. A la Army of the Dead. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, that's the last action movie we talked about like this. Of just long as fuck. And like you said, it's because of the middle. They just cram so much shit into the middle that they don't need to cram. Whereas this movie just doesn't. Once it starts going, it goes. It doesn't lull. And it just, it serves its purpose. And it's fucking fantastic for it. And that chasing was really fucking cool too. I like the way they did him escaping it. You know, just lying down in the seat where, and using the mirror and stuff, like to take advantage yeah. of stuff. That was really cool. How he used the rear view. Yeah, that was tight. Man. And even like when you go onto some of the subtleties of things and stuff, like in that scene when he first starts driving away and the bad guy shoots that pistol at him and it just, you know, goes through the back windshield and through the front windshield and like misses him by a little bit, he smiles. He doesn't go, oh, shit, that almost hit me. He smiles. Because he's like, yes, it's fucking going on. I really loved this movie. I really did. Yeah. It was tight. Uh, You got any more thoughts on this, Justin? No, man. I'm good. 
All right. Well, on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook where we're Cinema Under or Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we're Cinema Underscore Slayers. A uh, shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logo, respectively. Uh, if you can't give us a five star rating review, we'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Help us maybe get you know above the 152nd uh, ranked entertainment podcast in Jamaica. And we can break into the, you know, just straight into the double digits. Uh, like I've said before, tell your uh, friends, tell your family, uh, tell your mothers. If I had ever seen a movie that mothers would love, it's this movie. I, I cannot think of a movie any mother would love more than this movie, Nobody. Because you know why? In the end, like part of it is, this guy's a family man. He loves his family. He wants to do right by his wife. He wants. He just wants to love his wife. And who doesn't want to see that? And as always, though, remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner.